Hi, I'm Gavin Harrison, and you are listening to The Progcast. Welcome back to another episode of The Progcast. And as you heard, I'm really excited to have the drummer extraordinaire uh, Gavin Harrison calling from the UK today. Gavin, how are you? Great to have you on The Progcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. You have um, been busy in this weird year of 2020 and there is one particular album that's coming out on December 11 that uh, we want to focus a little bit uh, on today because it's a very special project I think and the album's called Chemical Reaction and it's a collaboration with the bass player Antoine Fafard. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit how you uh, got involved with this project and and what uh, what we can expect from it. Yeah, sure. Um, I met Antoine about eight years ago. I played on one of his albums, uh, one of his albums that had a different drummer on every track. So I did one song for him, and uh, I was very impressed with his writing and his bass playing. And then. Uh, in 2016, he said he was going to try an experiment um, with recording two of his pieces with a with a full 60-piece orchestra. And would I play drums on it? So I said, yeah, sure, that would be uh, very interesting. And it was very interesting. Um, but we didn't know where to go. After the two orchestral pieces, that was kind of put on a shelf. And then last year or maybe it was the beginning of this year, I can't remember. He said he'd written some pieces for string quartet and maybe we could put the whole project together with the two orchestral pieces to have bass and drums, uh, you know, integrate with these sort with this sort of classical um, situation, you know, with string players. So that's how this project came about. It sounds very, very intriguing and very unusual. I think uh, it's safe to say that uh, this is the 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 most uh, yeah artistically and uh, different uh, album that I've covered so far here on the podcast. Um, yeah, so so uh, the the compositions are from Antoine, right? Oh yeah. And uh, so when, when did the recordings uh, happen? I mean, you said it started like like the, the, the second part with the string quartet was only like came into uh, play at the beginning of this year. Yeah, I think um, the, the, the six pieces with the string quartet started around February, maybe. And, uh, you know, all the way through the lockdown period, um, the the orchestral pieces took place in 2016, um, so yeah, it's been um, it's been a nice, interesting musical challenge to try to find a way to fit you know my drumming style into this kind of music. Have Have you ever done anything like this before, or was it totally new for you as well? 
I did an album with a very interesting uh, Russian pianist called Gleb Kaleiden, and uh, he has a band called I Am The Morning, and I think I played on two I Am The Morning albums, and then Gleb, who is a brilliant classical pianist, he did a solo album, and uh, I don't think there's an orchestra on it, but the approach of classical music with drum set is quite a strange match because the drum set was never really perceived or meant to be part of, um, you know, classical orchestrations or even classical compositions. So it's um, it's nice to find a way uh, where not many people have been before. It's nice to find a way to um, fit your your own personality into that forum. Yeah, I would definitely second the uh, shout out to Gleb here. I'm I absolutely love his solo album. Um, that that was quite quite an artistic achievement and and something very very unique. And um, yeah, I am the morning. Actually, have a new EP coming out in December as well. Mm. A, a little Christmas EP. <laughs> Um, but it, but I do really hope that that there is gonna be more from from Gleb in this style. Um, yeah, but uh, um, apart from Chemical Reactions, uh, which is gonna be out on December eleventh, and we're also gonna um, release this episode, uh, publish this episode around this time. Uh, it's not the only album that you've played on uh, this year, right? That's right. <laughs> I mean, I've been uh, obviously finished the uh, Pineapple Thief album this year, but you know some of the albums that were released this year, um, of course, I worked on last year. Some of them, you know, take quite a bit of time to actually come to the um, come to the finish line. Uh, I think Dave Stewart's album, Dave Stewart, Barbara Gaskin album, that took about nine years. Wow. Um, I worked on that record in small amounts over those nine years before it actually got released. So, uh, yes, I've been playing on um, the Pineapple Thief record. and uh, that, that, been... that was the third Pineapple Thief record with you on drums, right? The second right, with yeah. you as a full band member? That's right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've been wondering uh, how how did uh, what, how was it for you to to come into this band and uh, because I think there's a lot of people out there who who might have uh, looked down on the Pineapple Thief a little bit, you know, as a um, you know, I don't want to say cheap copy, but like the little sister of uh, Porcupine Tree. <laughs> Um, and, and so, uh, they, I, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, now they, they, got, they got an upgrade with you, um, back when you joined for your wilderness and then you even joined them as a, as a full band member, uh, mm. which I thought was, uh, cool. And I saw you, uh, playing with them on, uh, two occasions on, on two tours and yeah, it was a great show. And, um, I have to admit myself uh, that, that I, never actually went to 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 check out the music properly um the the studio album from from the pineapple thief and um i i did in the meantime and um 
while while it's beautiful, um, the the live show gave me m more, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> it was more more engaging for me. Right. I mean, the pineapple. I don't think of the pineapple thief as uh, the little sister to porcupine tree at all. Um, and I, I don't really compare music or genres or bands. If I see something or hear something in a in a musical collaboration that's interesting, I, I'm very happy to be part of it. You know, I didn't know who Gleb Kaliden was before he wrote to me on Facebook. I didn't know, never heard of him. You know, some guy in St. Petersburg. You know, he's a, he's a musical genius. You you discover some really interesting people that way. And I knew about Pineapple Thief because they were on the same record label as uh, as I have been associated with uh, K-Scope Records many times. Uh, but I didn't listen to any of their stuff. And then out of the blue, Bruce Sword contacted me and said, would you be interested on playing on our new record? And he sent me the songs and I really made a good connection with those songs it's as simple as that it's not about how big the band is or the status or the money or any of it it's purely just about the music for me i, I really really like that approach um there was another album today uh today this year <laughs> that uh you were playing on and it's by from someone that you've known for a long time, Jacko Jackchick, of course. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've known Jacko, wow, probably since about 1983. We're actually from the same town, and I met him in a music store. And um, we started working together back in 83. And we've worked on all sorts of projects and albums. We were both in um, Level 42 in 1994, We worked for an Italian singer called Alice in 1990. Um, we've done all kinds of things. And eventually, 2014, we ended up in King Crimson together. So, yeah, I've played on a lot of Jacko's um, material. Um, yeah, actually, we, we had Jacko on the on the broadcast as well um, for his solo album, for his new solo mm. album, uh, Secrets and Lies. And he told us a little... A funny story that apparently you told someone backstage at the King Crimson tour um, not too long ago, and that was about your first um, studio gig with him, and and you were like complaining that it's like <laughs> boring to play the same pop song over and over for the whole day. <laughs> oh no no no! What that that story is um, because. You know, my father was a, uh, a trumpet player, and okay. in the late 70s, I used to go and watch him record at the BBC. And then I think 1979 was the first time my dad got me to play with his band at the BBC. So my early um, memories of making sessions were BBC sessions where there was a three-hour session, you know, 10 till one or two till five, And you rehearsed and recorded, and it was mixed live, 10 songs. And quite often you'd finish in under three hours. So I was used to the idea of a recording session being three hours long, and you record 10 songs. 
And the first time I worked with Jacko, yeah, we, you know, spent probably four hours just trying to record, you know, get a drum sound, play the bass drum for 30 minutes, um, and then work on the same song all day till midnight. So it was quite a shock to me that, that people would work that slowly when my previous experiences had only been working at the BBC and working in a much more kind of old-fashioned recording uh, style where musicians came and they read the music and they recorded lots and lots of pieces in a very short time. Doesn't sound quite as funny now, does it? It, it, it sounds super, super intriguing because uh, that, that sounds like a lot to... to um... Yeah, to blast out ten songs in in the matter of three hours—that's uh, impressive. Yeah, it's not unusual that you could do two or even three sessions, a BBC style sessions. You could record thirty thirty songs in one day. That's not that's not uh, unusual. The musicians at the BBC would do that kind of thing all the time. That's that's a high level of professionalism i would say yeah i mean you have really to be impressive. yeah sight reader you've got to be very proficient you know sight read and not make mistakes play well there's no chance to oh you know drop in or fix something or mend something there was no hard disk recording there's no auto-tune there's no editing there was it wasn't even a chance to remix it it was mixed live to stereo as you're playing. So that was it. That was the, the, the sort of, uh, the thing I grew up with. Yeah. That, that, I think that's, that's, uh, that's, sounds like a, like a good school, so to speak, to, uh, enter the music business <laughs> to, yeah, enter it at a extremely high level already. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we talked about the Pineapple Thief and and Jacko's album. Um, you are involved in so many projects. Um, you, you you just mentioned that you that there's also a new album um, from Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin that you've been working on for uh, nine years. That was uh, was that released this year as well? Uh, I think that was released. Last year, I'm going to look it up as we're talking. Uh, yeah, that was last year. In fact, I think we did we did a, a launch show in London as well. And again, I've been working with Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin since the early '80s. Uh, yeah, actually, it was 2018. Wow, you know, years fly by at incredible speed these days. Even when when a year. Uh, doesn't go as planned as this one. Yeah, or and may I've been, may maybe even more so. Yeah, and I've worked a lot this year. I thought I would have an easy year. I mean, it, it's um, yeah. This time of my life, I've been busy. I didn't expect I'd be busy at this point, but you know, touring more than I ever have and recording more than I ever have. That's a that's a good thing. Um, yeah, touring more than you ever had have um, with with King Crimson up until uh, it uh, was not possible anymore this year. Um, 
for the time being, obviously. You've been a part uh, of King Crimson for, for yeah, some years now. Um, and and uh, looking at the timeline, it was around the same time that you got involved with King Crimson that Porcupine Tree kind of finished. Um, yeah, how, how was that uh, joining you? How... How how did it feel for you joining King Crimson back then, and and uh, how was it to play with them over the last years? Yeah, I mean the first time I joined King Crimson was two thousand and eight, and I still there was still another couple of years of um, well another three years of Porcupine Tree after that. Yeah, it was a very short tour. I did it in the middle of a, a break uh, uh, of Porcupine Tree. Um, it was great fun. That project fell apart. That was meant to go on a bit longer, but that project, the 2008 King Crimson, fell apart. And then 2013, Robert Fripp called me and said, "You know, I've had this, I've had this vision, a, bear, a King Crimson with three drummers at the front of the stage. You know, he could already picture what it was going to look like, and on the back." four musicians on a riser behind, you know, no no lead singer at the front in the middle, which is the usual style of 99% of all rock bands. You've got a singer at the front in the middle and they talk to the audience. And King Crimson don't do that. We don't, there's no announcements, no one talks to the audience. So it de-emphasizes the singer as the lead person in the band. And that's quite interesting. And to put the drums at the front, you know, three drummers, I don't know how many bands have ever had three drummers. Um, that's quite an interesting uh, challenge. So, yeah, it was very, very different to play with King Crimson after uh, Porcupine Tree. A very different proposition. Uh, but, um, yeah, a good, a good, interesting rhythmical challenge. So how how did you go about uh, the 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 new arrangements of arrangements for three drummers? Uh, um, yeah, leading up to to the to the live shows when you got together. Yeah, well, luckily I've got um, I've got a studio at home, so I could try some triple drumming experiments just on my own by recording myself three times and to see what kind of parts I could write and to see what I thought worked or didn't work. And then uh, early 2014, Bill Reiflin and Pat Masalotto, the other two drummers, came to my studio and the three of us sat here trying to play some of these arrangements to see what would work and what wouldn't work. So we did a lot of rehearsals and, of course, it's got to be carefully arranged and carefully choreographed so that um, three drummers don't just sound like, uh, you know, a great big mess. <laughs> uh, it would be easy if we all just played the same thing. It wouldn't set, there'd be no point of having three drummers playing the same thing. So um, to, to take advantage of three drummers, you have to think like one drummer with six, six arms and six legs 
and to try to use all the possibilities of the three drummers, the three different drum kits that we have, the, you know, which feature very different sounds, and the three different styles of the three drummers. You know, some things are going to suit some of us more than others. So it was a, a very big lesson in uh, arranging. I can imagine that, but uh, I think it's safe to say, and I can also attest to that myself, that you, you achieved what you set out to, to accomplish there. I was fortunate enough to see a Queen Crimson show in Stuttgart a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, so playing live with King Crimson for six years now, uh, a little bit more maybe, um, do you ever think, hmm, wouldn't it be cool uh, to finally do a new studio album with that lineup? <laughs> yeah, everyone asked that question. <laughs> well, um, I don't think it's uh, something that's going to happen um, very soon. Uh, it's not to say it won't happen. It might happen. I don't know. I mean, at the moment, you know, we have missed a big tour this year that we had planned in America. We've moved it to next year, uh, the same tour uh, in June and July. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of big, it's a big band. It's, there's a lot of organization, a lot of logistics to get that band all in the same place to rehearse. Um, it's, it's quite difficult. In fact, on every tour, Before every tour, the three drummers get together in a small studio in London and we just rehearse just the three drummers. Because when we're late, when we're in this in the position we are on stage, we can't even talk to each other. We're so far apart. So it's nice to get in a small room all facing each other and we can hear each other very clearly and we can stop and discuss and rearrange and you know and rehearse as many times as we want um so that we do some individual rehearsing before we even get on the stage very very interesting insights there um moving away from king crimson maybe a little bit and and having a look at uh yeah different different project you've you've been involved in in in, in the last year um Mainly, I, I mean, you, you've played on so many albums and, and with so many projects. Um, but I think the, the, the one that, that was you as a lead person um, might have been the uh, Cheating the Polygraph album in 2015, right? That's right. <laughs> I, did, I did actually make a solo album in the mid-90s, um, which uh, is... You know, long time out of print, um, called Sanity and Gravity. It's a very, very hard to find, rare record. Yes, Cheating the Polygraph in 2015. That was that was really a big project for me, and it it took about five years to to finish that record. And that, of course, was uh, Porcupine Tree songs arranged in a sort of contemporary brass. For brass orchestra way, um, I'm, I'm tempted not to say big band because people have a preconception of big band. Um, they might think of Glenn Miller or, you know, Buddy Rich or yeah. Woody Herman or something. It's nothing like that. 
it's it uses the sound of the brass instruments in a very creative way. And the arranger Lawrence Cottle did the most amazing job with it. He he was absolutely incredible. Absolutely. And um, yeah, my question would be: Is there anything you like with all the projects you have going on and with all the um, sessions you're playing? Do you do you, do you find time to think about? Maybe it's time to do something on my own again. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, the project with and I like doing partnerships. I feel like the the partnership with Bruce Sword and the Pineapple Thief is a very healthy, creative, happy place. The same with Antoine Fafard. It's a it's a new relationship, really, with Antoine. You know, from a a project point of view, and so I'm happy to uh, keep myself busy with projects that I enjoy. I'm in a fortunate position that I don't have to do anything that's offered to me uh, for the sake of money. Um, so I only ever do projects that I really enjoy and I think are, you know, musically interesting to me. Uh, you know, for many decades I worked as a session musician. And, you know, being a professional musician means you've got to really sort of play anything for anyone. And I, I did that for a very long time. But the last sort of 15 years of my life, I've tried to steer away from that and just do things that personally interest me. That's uh, that's absolutely beautiful. And uh, coming back to, to the collaboration with Antoine and yeah. the upcoming album, uh, Chemical Reactions. When I, I found out about it um, a couple of weeks ago, I remembered uh, the name the, the name of Antoine rang a bell some <laughs> way back somewhere in my head. Uh, so, of course, I went to Google him and uh, his... Uh, um, where did he come from? Where have uh, I heard the name before? And so it turns out he, he was in Spaced Out and... Uh, Yeah, I remember that band very well from the beginning of the 2000s, like 2004, 2005, maybe um, when I when I was listening to Progress Radio a lot, and we had the, the those albums were on there, and I remember enjoying them a lot. Um, so I went on to Spotify to check out his latest solo album from last year, Uh, which was called Boromir and Odyssey, and I would just put it on when I was like walking outside, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is amazing stuff!" And, and then I went home and, and I checked who who else was playing on it because the the, the drumming and the keyboards were insane. So mm. it turned out it was uh, Gary Husband on keyboards and uh, Todd Sukerman on 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 drums. <laughs> and I thought, okay, yeah, now I know where this guy comes from. Yeah, he likes drummers. <laughs> um, there was one other album where you played one song on this year, um, a pretty well-known name in the prog metal world, Face Warning, of course. We also yeah. had Ray Alder on the uh, broadcast already this year, a couple of weeks back. Um, and... I mean this this connection to Fate's Warning. I wouldn't have made like directly like Gavin Harrison and Fate's Warning, but then 
on a second thought, of course, there was a connection through Jim and uh, Ozi, of course, the Office of Strategic Influence project you've been playing on uh, for at least the last two records. That's right, yeah. I believe. Um, yeah, how was that session for Phase Warning? How, how did you get involved? And it was just that one, one song, right? When That's Snow right. Falls? <laughs> um, during the last uh, OSI album, I think it's called Fire Make Thunder. Yes. Um, I contributed some ideas, some drum ideas, which uh, Jim and uh, Jim Mateos and Kevin Moore wrote along with. And this Fate's Warning record, uh, earlier this year, Jim wrote to me and said, listen, I've, I've got this drum track from you. Um, I think it's something we were writing for the last OSI album, and I love this drum track, and I've written a song around it for Fate's Warning. Is it okay if I use this drum track? And I said, absolutely. I'd be, I'd be very happy for you to do that, Jim. So that's uh, that's how that came about. Um, yes, I, I I don't know a lot of Fate's Warning stuff. Um, uh, I do know their drummer, and he's he's uh, he's very very good. Um, but the the OSI stuff, um, I'm just trying to think. When I did 2009 was the first one I did. It's called Blood, and I absolutely loved that record. It was fantastic. Um, it's probably as metal as my drumming has ever been, um, you know, and I didn't really do much metal drumming until I, I met Porcupine Tree. I played with Iggy Pop, but that was more kind of punk style. It was very heavy, very heavy, loud stuff. But um, the OSI records, uh, yes, it was... I really enjoyed it, and I, I really liked Kevin's singing as well. He's got a very unusual voice. I'm sorry we didn't ever get to play live. Yeah, that that would have been something, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so the rumor has it actually that uh, Ray Ray Alder, the singer of Fate's Warning, kind of confirmed that the, the last song on the last Fate's Warning album is called The Last Song, and um, apparently Jim is not really that much into composing music for Fate's Warning anymore. Um, oh. So that could be the, the last studio album of Fate's Warning. So I, I, I was wondering, when you were in contact with him, did... Uh, and talk talking now getting to hear that you actually talked about OSI as well uh was there any any mention maybe to to bring that project back no i i think you know i mentioned i've mentioned to jim in the past that you know we should do another record it would be great i you know kevin does this thing called chroma key is that right yeah and i think he's been very busy making a new chroma key album all right i i, I of course i have never actually met jim or kevin it's extraordinary that i did two albums with them i never met them and i never spoke to them on the phone it's a very weird relationship but i had a lot of respect for them i really like what they do i love what kevin and jim does so um yeah if they want to do another record i'm i'm ready awesome 
Uh, maybe one last question uh, about your musical career and, and of course, involving Pocket Pantry. Um, so, yeah, there's still a lot of fans after, yeah, what, 10 years now um, that are still constantly asking about a possible reunion. Are you kind of annoyed uh, at that time about it or are you just... You don't. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, people have asked me, yeah, for the last 10 years, <clears throat> what about Porcupine Tree? You know, we're still friends. We still see each other. Um, you know, I still see Steve. He lives quite close to me. We go for lunch sometimes. Well, not so much in the last nine months. But, um, yeah, it's it's never it's never something that we've said we'll never, ever do that again. It's always in the back of our minds. So um, you never know what will come in the future. I mean, the the world has changed so much in the last nine months. Um, the world's constantly changing. I would never I would never say that's it. We're never going to do it again. And we never we never said it was finished. Other people told us we, we were finished. Plenty of people have told me. So Porcupine Tree are finished. And I say, really? Uh, no one's told me. I've never heard that from, you know, Steve, Richard or Colin. So it was just something we put on hold. And then the hold got longer and longer and longer. We went off doing other things. You know, I did so many other things since then. And I'm sure, you know, the other guys have as well. And Steve's had a solo career in the meantime. It's not something that um, I would completely discount. Yeah, now that you mention it, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, about like yeah, last time I saw Colin, and it was uh, actually with his uh, this project that he has with uh, uh, Pat Mastelotto and the two Italian guys. Mm. Um, I'm the the name eludes me right now. Um, But yeah, I I saw them live and and uh, that that was also very very a very cool project. Um, oh yeah, they're called O R K. Yeah, right, Ork. O R K. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Um, yeah, uh, thank you for the, for all these interesting insights in, in, into your career and into your projects and into your approach uh, to to music. Um, we have one little section that we like uh, our, to close our episodes with, and let, that section is actually called "What's in Your Walkman." That's where we like to ask our guests if they, there's anything they've listened to lately uh, stood out that they want to share and or recommend to their fans and to our listeners. What's in your Walkman? You, you even <laughs> have to be at least forty years old to know what a Walkman is. Uh, but yes, I do know what a Walkman is. What have I been listening to? Well, um, that's a good question. I, I I tend to listen to things that, you know, inspire me. I listen to a lot of Lewis Taylor, if you're familiar with Lewis Taylor. He hasn't worked as Lewis Taylor, I think, in about 15 years. Uh, very, very talented guy. What have I been enjoying? Um, Peter Gabriel album called PG, rated PG. I, I, I love Peter Gabriel. Uh, it always, you know, always comes up with the right melody, that guy. It's just extraordinary. Um, 
I don't know. You know, I don't buy lots of new music. I tend to go back and listen to things that I think I listen to a lot of music for comfort. And so I go back to albums that, you know, I love of, of Kate Bush or Peter Gabriel or David Bowie or lots of jazz records that I grew up listening to. And, um, I think the new music things I discover, I probably discover on YouTube when I'm just, you know, browsing around, you know, I'll start off with, I don't know, Thundercat or something, and then it will lead on to Snarky Puppy, and then it will lead on to, oh, I don't know. It just, I just kind of go round in circles, and and some things I like, some things I don't like. It's a sort of shop window where you just browse new things or old things and rare things it's it's quite fascinating but in terms of what's in my walkman uh lots and lots and lots of old shit really <laughs> <laughs> things i've listened to a million times and still love listening to yeah some of its comfort it brings back such fantastic memories of moments in your life when you were listening to stevie wonder or Earth, Wind and Fire, or, or, or whatever. Some It depends on your mood. Usually, because I work, you know, at new music, writing new music all the time, I don't try to get influence from other new music. I tend to find influence in old music that I've already enjoyed, and I try to work out what it was I always loved about it and see if I can make that the influence. Very interesting approach again. Um, I also got a lot of things in my Walkman, of course. I I don't have that much time to go back to to all my old loves, so to speak, as I'm mm. constantly uh, checking what's the what's the newest shit out there and and who is releasing new albums. And uh, there was one album this year which was a really cool project. Um, I think spearheaded by Jonas Reingold. Um, called The Backstage, called Isolation, also um, with um, Pat Mastoloto on some some tracks. Um, so that's a really cool listen in the fusion, uh, proggy fusion vein. Um, mm. And um, another insane drum pick for from me from, from a recent release would be the Dirty Loops EP Phoenix. Um which is just <laughs> insane stuff. Yeah, I like Dirty Loops. Great. <laughs> so fact, um, I, met, I met the bass player a few times. He came, he came to a King Crimson show, and he came to a Pineapple Thief show. Oh, cool. Yeah, really nice guy. Yeah, I, I, I remember they've been they played. I think when they when they released their first album a couple of years back. They were they were supporting some other bigger artists, and and I remember they played in Munich but for some reason I couldn't or didn't go and I'm 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 still uh, bummed out that, that I didn't uh, make myself go um uh, now I hope uh we all hope that uh things are gonna go back to a new normal whatever that means but sure. somehow that uh live concerts will be 
able to go forward again, that would be great. And then I would love to see Dirty Loops live. And yeah, um, all right, thank you so much, uh, Gavin, for taking the time and um, yeah, enlightening us here at the broadcast with with all your right. insights. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks for having me. As always, for our listeners, thank you for listening and uh, take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones and listen to great music. The Progcast is a production of Stuus Media and is presented by the Prague Space. It is produced by Randy M. Salo, Janine Stengel-Lewis, Blake Lewis and Dario Albrecht. Our theme music is by This Is Not An Elephant, and Van Kirsch does our graphics. New episodes of the podcast drop every Monday and Thursday. And don't miss our Friday Top 5 episode where we discuss our favorite new releases from that week. For more interviews and reviews in the written form, check out theprogspace.com. <laughs>